0: Before we jump into the episode this week, I wanted to share a little bit about the Thrive community that I run. It's a place where many like-minded women go to connect and share their experience with getting and staying successfully sober. There are different sections, like the main Thrive community feed, where people post about things that are up and coming, or about challenges they're facing, and they get incredible support from other members of the group. It really is a special, special place to be right now. There are also sections to share your milestones, because every win, even the really small ones, are a big thing to celebrate, and we acknowledge that. There are five events, there are the weekly Zoom recordings, so you can go back and see all the weekly Zoom meetings and all the topics that have been covered in those meetings at your own leisure. There's a share sober tips section and then there are group chats for the first 30 days, the first 100 days, the first year and over a year there's a knowledge hub as well. And in the knowledge hub, you'll find a place for books and book recommendations. There's a section of how to survive the first 30 days. So if you come in completely brand new to getting sober, you can hit the ground running and find tools and information to get a structure set up for yourself from the outset. There's also my Thrive Sober programme, there's a toolkit, there's understanding the brain science and a space to read and learn about all the topics under emotional sobriety, most of which have been written by myself. So come into Thrive. If you're thinking about it or you're lacking community, I would say just jump in and go for it and maybe we'll see you in there soon. Hello and welcome to Sober Stories from Everyday People. Today I'm chatting to Kate and she lives near Oxford or near Bicester Village. That's right isn't it Kate? We were talking about this weren't we? <laughs> oh, come
1: on, well, People know best.
0: Yeah so it's very popular around there isn't it? Very big for shopping and stuff. Um, and she's been sober for four years so she's just hit the four year mark. And uh, I'm really excited to get into your story, Kate. And, you know, we're similar, very similar amount of time sober, you know, four years and four and a half. So just that six months. And it's just, I'm really on a personal level, excited to hear about your growth and your journey, because I probably feel a lot of it as well. Because I do think, I keep talking about sobriety now at the moment, As in, it's like different levels of a game. And I do feel like every year you just go on to like a different level and you go up and up and up. So thank you for joining me today and for making time for me to come on my show.
1: It's lovely that there's shows out there to do this. I always feel, yes, it's a privilege to be a guest, but the fact that there's accessibility to be a guest on what somebody that is pushing sort of like information out there, that's the first start. So like there's gratitude there to start with.
0: Oh, that's really nice. So why don't you tell us a little bit about who Kate is before we get into your story with drinking?
1: Yeah, sure. So I am 48 now and so and I'm a mother of four. My eldest son has autism. Um, so was born with that from the start. So we've sort of managed that as a family, we've trying to kept that um, as part of our sort of growing up and learning as as parents and as as a group of six. So that's been um, an interesting journey. And we live, uh, I've been with my husband now for, gosh, 28 years. So that's lovely again. So we have that consistency of like growing up together and creating a family together. I'm an artist, so I'm lucky enough to have a studio at home. And I think that was a lot of impact because of having a young family and having to deal with the childcare and having to have the responsibility of a child with extra needs. So I was around more there isn't sort of like um babysitters or nursery and people who deal with that age or that level of um help so mm. it, i moderated my life and career really around that time um, and ongoing that relationship because that needed to happen i needed to be home and i needed to sort of manage um all of that disability so that's kind of walked us through a slightly different path to 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 often mainstream stories but it's you know it's lovely the boys and my eldest daughter all perfect love love the family love that part of it so i'm very lucky
0: oh and and how old what are the ages of your children So our eldest daughter,
1: our eldest and only daughter, she's 24, then it goes to 22. Um, And because, as I say, um, he's got extra needs, we sort of had a little gap. Um, And so that means the younger two sons are 15 and 12.
0: Why don't you talk to me um, about your relationship with alcohol and what it looked like and how it started? So I was, like we
1: said a bit earlier, so because being that age as I am and so it works out as being a child of the sort of 70s and 80s childhood and then coming into this 90s culture this Ladette culture in this sort of very much brazen sort of almost every weekend was like a Hindu, <laughs> you know, that version where you sort of live that <laughs> it was really encouraged it was completely supported and it was what was on uh, magazines and it was what was the newspaper it was just kind of this you know the word and things like that were going on so I kind of felt so where I what why I was sort of growing up sort of as I say in Oxfordshire it was it was encouraged and it was sort of like what we did you know and so I wasn't excessive I didn't I wasn't one person everyone else was sort of like just having a sip everyone else was kind of on the same journey I didn't feel that I was the odd person out um so that was, and my parents have always been drinkers, The family have always been huge drinkers. Drinkers just really been connected to every event, a good, a bad, bored, whatever, you just have a drink. My dad was an alcoholic, like a proper alcoholic, but he was what we used to refer to as a functioning alcoholic. But since I've worked and sort of learned a bit more, there is no such thing as a functioning alcoholic. Because what we assume of them... By that, I mean, he was able to sort of, you know, run his own business. He was up every morning, had showers. You know, he was he was able to keep conversations. He was, you know, relatively stable in these, you know, in the everyday. But knowing now, what I know now, um, it definitely had a huge impact financially on us as a family. I think we were let down because of the addiction um, you know, that we've lost houses and homes and future earnings and certainly savings, that's all gone. And that would be due to the alcoholism. But again, it's such a slow burner, sort of it's a world of paper cuts, not big chunks. It's all these little mini traumas that go on. And it's also acknowledging the fact that at that time, his childhood and you know, parents' childhood, there was no sense of um strategic help there wasn't a language there was emotional dialogues like we have now and his parents so his childhood would have been his parents from the war that they would have obviously had dealt with traumas and that would have come out in a different way as in how he was brought up and he lived away both my parents moved away from their uh upbringings they both ended up in the UK and their families were elsewhere so um they were navigating that you know pretty singly and um I think alcohol being as promoted as it was and still is, was like the, the easy fix to sort of put a lot of plasters on wounds and to try and just connect with people and find a route. And they were good, you know, he's a good, he was a good person and then my family, lovely people, but it, it, it doesn't, you know, it's an addiction, it's a problem. So as much as it's, uh, you know, it, luckily it didn't come out into sort of like some physical manifestation or some awful experiences. But actually, the it became so embracing and all-encompassing alcohol that affected our family from the very core, from the very start. You know, pre me being born, um, and I'm one of three. That it's and the and the outshots to that for like siblings and you know relationships and and, and every event it's you know it's all encompassing looking back on it now and i'm trying to look back without judging trying to look back without blame i'm trying to sort of break the cycle for, for my family for my little family of six with uh, with compassion you know without having those because i did feel loved and we did have you know wonderful times and we did it did create a sense of very good friendships and very mo- you know, good moments because mm. that was was available at the time yeah. you know have other options, and so just trying to sort of walk that path as a self-reference with a bit of generosity.
0: Yeah, I, it's fascinating actually when you talk about you know him being the you know the functioning and the way that we use that language. A person was a functioning binge drinker or a functioning addict or alcoholic or whatever the label is, and it's so true, isn't it, that to the outside world that may appear functioning, but there is chaos at home and, you know, in that very close circle, especially if you're a kid, you know, my mum my wasn't diagnosed alcoholic, but same as you, when I look back, there are a lot of behaviours, especially now that I'm more educated and I've had my own challenge with drinking and I've got through that. When I look back, there are definitely behaviours of, Alcohol dependency, you know, hiding bottles, lots of fights, losing houses, had the same story. It's that collection of things that happen in the home that you are directly exposed to, but yet you learn to overlook because that is your normal. And that becomes normal. And then to the outside world, things look fairly normal, you know, and so there is that false uh, perception of this functioning, you know, functioning to who or to whom. Well, so really,
1: child, how can you say that it's, how can you have a judgment as a child to think this isn't normal? when? You don't know. Do you? And, people, mm-hmm. you know, it's all, that's what you do, is that's what it's on telly and it's, it's mm-hmm. happening. All you just don't question it because it's mm-hmm. everywhere. It's pervasive so like, we don't have that intelligence to do that. And I don't know, sort of, as I say, very nice person, but the um, walking on eggshells and the, and the emotional sort of roundabout where something would be funny one day and the same thing would be terrifying the next day, mm-hmm. like there was no consistency. And obviously that turns a, grown, a growing person into making um, our own psychology mm-hmm. from that, so I imagine mm-hmm. I I look at it now and say, if I have a label it would have been a people pleaser because mm. I'm always sort of judging the room I'm always sort of like gauging the emotional temperature that's going on because yeah. that's hey. what I was you hey. know working.
0: yeah oh my god I'd never thought about it like that 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 is exactly why I've honed those skills because that was you know sometimes walking into my home as a kid you know it was You just did not know what version of of that parent you were going to get. Was there hostility? And there often was with my parents because my dad didn't drink and he was irritated by my mom's drinking, couldn't understand it, would blame her. understand why, okay, but, you know, like would blame her, judge her. And she would, just like I did when I got told off of my drinking with partners, she would retaliate. And dig her heels in <laughs> and you know, not like it. And so that constant clashing created a lot of tension for a long time, a lot of years. When you think about it, you know, I don't, I don't know, when you become conscious of that tension, I don't know, maybe it's five, six, seven, I'm not sure, but it carries on through all the way through through teenage years and so yeah I've never really connected the dot because I'm the same when I walk into a room I'm so hyper aware of what's going on and I can I can see tension and sense it and I've got a lot of empathy which I actually think are all really positive things to be honest for me that have that have probably come out of it but I I hadn't really realized that's quite possibly where it came from started for sure because you
1: have it has to have an impact on you as a growing up I mean it does it develops into so you'll have different strategies so it it will affect your sort of neurodiversity where you will be able to um overcompensate or undercompensate or hide away from or avoid or go head on into because that's your training if you like you've been trained Mm -hmm. to do this for years so like when you walk out into the wider world um you're you're seeing you know similar situations or new situations and you can only navigate that on the skill set that you've been growing up with especially the day we didn't have internet we didn't have we couldn't research ourselves we couldn't you know google you know uh, what we were feeling we didn't have the language like
0: Mm. the word
1: gaslighting was only really recently noted in, in the dictionary but gaslighting existed whether we realized it as a term or not. And if you try to describe gaslighting without using the word, it sounds that it shouldn't be real because you're sort of saying, I feel like pretty really bad, but they said something that felt like it was okay, but they didn't mean it. And so like without a word, without a title, we're left sort of grappling around in this emotional sort of dream without any validation. And I think that was the difference growing up and and coming out from that because there is no language or there certainly wasn't back then Mm. in my sort of to put a mark on the board with and that is really hard when you're growing up because you need sort of role models and you need examples for you to sort of aspire to and inspire you and it's really confusing
0: yeah, it's interesting when you say there wasn't, you know, there wasn't any language. And I, I, I yeah, hundred percent understand what you're saying there. And I, I, funnily enough, I was on a podcast yesterday, and I, I was saying yesterday on on this other person's podcast how I was so happy to live in an era where we're starting to get more language around all these sorts of things. I think it's so important. But one thing that struck me about that, when you say, you know, as as children or back in back when we were kids, for example, that time there wasn't any language. I almost wonder whether there there still isn't language for people that don't want to hear it or or that aren't aware that it is potentially problematic. And it's like people don't realise that they have the permission or the reference point that they can look at their drinking, they just kind of, they're still, people are still very much, just like I was until I got sober, very much like on the drinking bus, you know, going along with everyone else or round the Ferris wheel, however you describe it. And it, it's almost like you're quite sort of naive and and, and ignorant in that, in that place aren't you you just think that the drinking's okay and so that's that's that because everyone around you is still doing it what we do when we
1: do that I also feel that we sort of mod, we, we create our own reality to that so I would be like um oh it's fine because I'm not drinking at lunchtime you know okay. I could be doing this but I'm not and it's fine because you know um I'm only I'm, I'm gonna have tea at like nine o'clock on a Sunday I'm not gonna push on through so like Instead of thinking I'm drinking, you know, six seven nights a week, I'd always caveat that with certain rules, like, oh yeah, but um, it, you know, I'm I'm still able to you know take care of the children, and I mean when they're in bed, or you know, there's always little sort of justifications for things. Yeah. And so instead of somebody saying drinking's a problem, they will say, oh yeah, because also I think the idea of an alcoholic or somebody with alcohol problems, and I've seen this with many situations so far since my eyes have been opened in the sense that somebody thinks an alcoholic is somebody who has can't drive anymore because they've had drink driving problems that they have burnt all their bridges with their any friends and family that they're on a park bench that they drink in the morning as soon as they get up like when they see when they think of that sort of cartoon version of an alcoholic then they look at that and say that's not me it's really mm. easy to think I don't have problems with an alcohol in my life because I have a job or because I have a relationship or because I'm managing x y and z so like the ground zero that kind of you know that kind of point where everything is you know arrested you're in prison that's the alcoholic that's really does such a disservice to people who struggle with alcohol because that is what people consider as the benchmark of alcoholism yeah, yeah. and an and and they can look at that and say yes but I, you know I never you know I absolutely never did that when I was I never had a drink when I was driving which I never did never did never all of these things so I can't be an alcoholic because obviously I'd have to have a drink all the time whatever responsibilities were going on and that's not true but it's what we tell ourselves or it's what's yeah. told to us
0: yeah yeah absolutely um so it's almost like back then We weren't aware really that it was bad. There wasn't any language and it's just what people did. But I think there's still a lot of that that's still very present. Do you know what I mean? So it's like you only find the language and you only get the realizations that what you're doing is not supporting really what you want to achieve in life if you jump into this journey, or you get to the point, fortunately, you and I got to a point where we just said enough is enough. And, you know, we jumped over across the, I don't know, stream, <laughs> got onto yeah. the Sober Island. But it, it, I think there's a lot of people that that's still not happening for is kind of what my point is. So it's like, I wonder yeah. what makes that bigger shift happen i think it's starting but there's still a long way to go and i still truly believe there are very many people out there that are really unhappy with their drinking despite the fact that they would look on the outside like they're functioning or that you know or they're happy or they're well i think there's a lot of people that that aren't but but getting a bit more into your story so what did your drinking look like
1: So I was sort of really... So uh, drinking was so encouraged. And also because having a child that had extra needs and the autism side of it meant socialising was really difficult. So we were at home a lot. So we made our home sort of our social situation. So, and what that did is living in a village and not having buses or or you know restaurants or things around um it made it easy because I didn't have to sort out lifts or taxis or anything else or babysitters so like to have to be able and my family that I would socialize with and friends were all local so like to host or to you know to bring you know the sort of set the this child that was okay for my son it was all sort of like in this bubble so that was very easy to drink in that bubble because you weren't going anywhere you didn't have to drive anywhere you were had people around who were drinkers and everyone was really happy to drink at anything and because also it was sort of a stressful situation obviously bringing up you know bring disabilities into things there was that sense of celebration like I've made it I'm doing really well this is my time haven't I done well aren't I coping well mm. all of those sort of reward systems are being encouraged so I sort of carried that through. And because I work from home as well, there's also no boss, there's no system telling me, you don't, you know, you don't have to. Because I was also doing art. Now, this is really important as as a reference for my research where people in the creative industry, which is is a lot of my siblings and um, the people that I've talked to with or read memoirs or investigated my versions of, you, there's a sort of arrested the element development there because you are, you have this lifestyle where you're encouraged to be like this kind of, almost this broken or struggling person to make good art or to make good music or to, I mean, you know, if you're on tour, no one's going to tell you to stop drinking. You know, you, you're expected to be this kind of wild child. Mm. And if you're writing a book, all you have, so many things that you see is like, oh, you know, Ernest Hemingway is like, write drunk edit sober and all these people like are are imagining you can only crack crack into the depths of like really good stories or really human emotion connection when you're had a few glasses of one or had a half a bottle of whiskey because that's the sort of advertising that it Mm. gives you like you you are allowed to be slightly quirky slightly eccentric you're allowed to have like this lifestyle and I did it I remember saying to my husband oh, I was, you know, I'm, I'm going to be writing this really difficult grief scene. So I'm just going to get on it. I know the kids that, you know, will, I've got, are at school and they're going to get picked up and I'll make supper early so that, you know, so all of those things are ticked off. So I am functioning, mm-hmm. but I'm really going to be hard for the next couple of weeks because I'm dealing with some really emotional scenes that I'm writing or painting, whichever way it been. And so that just was so acceptable. Isn't, it was like a, it was like um a toolbox to be creative that's that, that's understandable mm. and a lot of creative people in the industries have, have that backup have that sort of confirmation that yeah of course like everything is allowed because
0: it's
1: part of your re- that's how like that's how artists work as in like you know creative artists across all the, the art industries so it's really difficult to um fight that fight that back if you really want it to work for you because you're getting yes signs the whole time to give you permission to this almost childlike way of being in a sweet shop by going yeah yeah just have another sweet yeah it's Mm -hmm. fine have another drink it doesn't matter if you're flipped out because emotionally haven't you created something really powerful Mm -hmm. so it was like it was very permissed it was very much that I, I, I was very much allowed to have that happen And I don't think that was healthy for somebody who is essentially an addict for Mm -hmm. for something like that. Mm. So that made it difficult for me to get some sort of sense of reality because I wasn't going to work. I wasn't physically going off in a car. I wasn't, you know, I didn't have mainstream children who could sort of sort themselves out. So I was able to do, you know, different versions Mm. of life. So that people that go out or see other people or connect. You know, nobody would see me of a day to to tell if I had a drink or not, so it didn't matter. Like, I I didn't have to answer to anyone.
0: It's almost kind of like, in some ways, it 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 does lack a lot of structure, but but in a bad way on the drinking front, because, like you say, most people up until. COVID, because I do think things have changed, but most people pre-COVID were going out to work and like you you know, dropping kids at school, going out to work, doing errands, doing things, and it was always kind of very much, okay, six o'clock wine time or kids down wine time. And yeah, but if you're you've you've got all of those different that different setup where you're not having to go to work and you, you haven't got kids in mainstream school and then your career is almost kind of creatively structureless, it, it it would have been very, very challenging. And so when it came to the point for you to stop drinking, what like how did you arrive at that point? What happened? What happened on the day you stopped or the day before you stopped? Well, my story is in the sense, so I got
1: diagnosed with breast cancer in 2016, 17, like early that year, And the year before, my friend, my good friend, had been diagnosed with breast cancer first. Um, So she had, so we walked her through her journey. So hers was very much the standard. So I did have a friend the decade before in our 30s who had breast cancer and died of breast cancer. And she was part of our sort of school group. You know, she was really close to us. So we'd seen that happen. And then in such a sort of negative, quick, you know, terminal situation. So we'd walk that walk with her but then we were in our thirties and it, and again, lack of internet, lack of knowledge. It was just, um, some, you know, something shocking in the sand and then didn't happen to anyone else. Let's all just move on. Always remember, you know, always remember and acknowledge, but it was just sort of like a one hit, like a car accident, like a, it's happened. Let's just carry on with, you know, no changes. And then, so when my friend, she was just, she just turned 41. Uh, so she got diagnosed with breast cancer. So, We did the whole, um, she had chemo first, then surgery, then radiotherapy. So she finished before Christmas. And then the January, I'd found a lump. So I'd said to her, like literally the month after she'd finished treatment, I said, I can't believe I'm telling you this um I found a lump I'm gonna have you know the GP's taking me forward for this breast scan uh can you take me like I want you to go because I think it would be ridiculous if I got breast cancer because it's not contagious we've just you've just literally done the same thing Mm. so anti-jinx person you know it'll be brilliant that we can just put a closure to this um the universe is not that lazy And so I get there and then obviously I get diagnosed pretty much on the day. Um, And so we're like, wow, this is, this is crazy timing. It was ridiculous. So she, I say she'd finished her treatment at this point. So I then got on the journey. So I was 41. I just, I was going to turn 42 for the surgery. So mine was slightly different. I had surgery first, then chemotherapy, then radiotherapy. And then I was done that year. So that was her year was one year. I was the next year um and from that so she was always told like as I was there's nothing you can do you didn't do anything to cause it none of us we didn't have the BRCA gene so it wasn't genetic so we were like there's no change you need to do in fact she was encouraged to have this kind of like open a bottle of wine have you you know enjoy your life don't worry about it um don't change anything in your lifestyle. And because she got ill first, and I obviously naively didn't realise I was next, I read a lot about it. And I think the two versions of people who get ill like this, they either have their head in the sand and don't want to know and just you know let it happen, trust the system and just you know, run, run towards it and just go with what's going on. And the second type of person might be somebody who checks out, investigates, reads other people's stories finds out sort of like hints and tips and and that was the sort of person I was Mm. um and so which was great for her because I was passing it on and giving her all these advice and then it was full-on for me because I kind of knew um that what was going to happen so like I was a bit too too well informed yes so we did different journeys so she won she just was like caning it and just like literally at festivals doing all the normal things that she was already doing and I was the one that went right I'm going vegan I'm going you know plant-based I'm going to exercise and doing yoga I'm finding all these mindfulness but but still didn't stop alcohol that's it didn't stop me um because again it was never mentioned it was never discussed every time i sort of brought it up gingerly because i didn't want the answer everyone in like the family was like oh you needed well done you've had your chemo let's celebrate let's there's a bottle of wine for you you've just finished chemo and when you do chemo you have um one week you have the injection you know you have the iv coming in so your first week you're shocking because you're basically putting poison in you your second week is better you're getting better but you have no immune system and your third week is recovering and then at that point if you're going to continue chemo it's when you have your next chemo so at the end of chemo people and so many people and again I might have done this myself to somebody else were like yes bottle of wine celebrate we're having people we're having party for you well done but I just finished chemo so like I didn't hadn't had my good week and I hadn't had my it was so much about celebrate this with alcohol it was just even though you're ill even though you don't have hair even though you're throwing up like let's just do all this to make I think at that point when I look at it you know in a kind way it's everyone else trying to feel better Mm. and trying to like push it away and trying to just Mm. not really or not really take responsibility for those things so I don't again have any judgment for that and I'm sure I did it myself unintentionally to people Mm. so it took me a long while to associate drinking and also like the anxiety that that would bring and the and working for myself i wasn't in, i had no income so i so any funding drinking was was also really expensive so all of this stuff was going on and it just felt like everyone was trying to sh- shut it down and just drink through it and just not mention it at all like once you're back to your drinking level you it's like it never happened you know you'll you'll be fine and i never really kind of felt that was okay going through the knowledge that I knew and there's sort of like such a big idea about recurrence coming back because for women so my cancer was estrogen positive so that means that sugars and hormones affect my cancer and as a woman drinking encourages hormones in your body so like sugars that it creates the, the alcohol creates sugars and it creates hormones in you so in one way I was getting injections every month to stop hormones coming into my body because that was what my cancer fed on and in the next breath just having a bottle of you know carver prosecco two that's i've never won that those which were making my bodies make all the things i was trying to get rid of yeah, mad, so it just yeah. really wasn't making sense and i was going through medically people sort of saying can we answer these questions i'm really wondering and it was you know and then you were justifying it saying maybe if i did like low sugar uh, not sweetener, but low sugar um, tonic water, and like the white spirits, I'd be okay with that. That's not forget toxic, forget poison, forget the fact that it's a version of chemotherapy essentially in my body, because you're you're putting you know you're putting ethanol in your body. So that was never discussed, but it also wasn't discouraged by anyone in the medical professional. And I would see somebody every month for treatments. Every month, I was seeing people. Um, regularly for five years onwards and it was never something even go so I was going through the menopause at this point at the very beginning because that you know with the ovary shut down the hormone stopped the you're in a chemical induced menopause and the fact of drinking in menopause and what that means as well and the, you know the anxiety the emotional stress regardless of the sort of PTSD you get from having all these treatments no. of cancer, everything was sort of like just sort of flaring up and i just was like the only voice in this um saying guys do you think i should and everyone was like trying i think so far so trying so much to pretend it didn't happen or going back to what it has to happen without any responsibility of thinking maybe if i had a slightly different lifestyle mm. or less or less things going on i would have been healthier so maybe that's the point or, or maybe i'd really like to be healthier now So all of these things were going round and obviously it's a huge turmoil. And so my son turned 18. We were away for the weekend. My son turned 18 and it was just the three boys then. So they're, again, young, you know, two in primary school and he was 18. And we'd gone away for a nice Airbnb and we were in Bournemouth. And I remember we were drinking every day. Uh, I was, my husband were, drinking every day because we could walk to the city centre. I was going out, you know, lunches because... I loved a, loved a daytime drink, loved the lunch things. And then, because I think what I'd done is I'd got to the habit of daytime drinking, drinking in the evening, like carrying it on. And so by nine o'clock, I'd be like, oh, I'm on tea now. So I'm not drinking like really late. So forget the sort of eight hours I was drinking yeah. solidly, which yeah. would have been, if I started at seven or eight at night, like at three o'clock in the morning, finish. Forget that version that I you know gladly put out of my brain um and I so we were sat down we were on holiday we'd had the whole week it was the last night and it was his birthday we were watching something I think Aquaman or something on the telly and were daytime drinking I'd had already got my bottle of fizz drunk you know bought it come back and I was and I and I had finished it and I was still not where I wanted to be like in this sort of drinkingy sort of way you know I didn't feel like a little bit you know high enough sort of I suppose. Um, so I said to my husband, I think I'm going to need to go to the, you know, to the Tesco's down the road and get another bottle, which would have been like my third or fourth of the day because it wasn't hitting me. I didn't feel drunk. I didn't feel like it hit me. So I felt I need another bottle because I'm not there yet. And then I just he was like, that's fine. But like we're watching a film. and I was like, that's fine. So I was willing to take my time out of my children this lovely evening we're having. And I sort of stopped myself. I, Dad, he wasn't judging me. He wasn't having a problem. And none of the kids were sort of kicking off. It was fine, which is worrying, because obviously that's what <laughs> they were used to. Um, and I got to the door and I thought, why am I cancelling this family time? I'm coming back and I'm enjoying it, but why isn't that enough for me? Why, isn't, why hasn't it been the alcohol that I've already had this week mm-hmm. and today enough? Why isn't that hitting the mark that it used to hit or maybe didn't hit? Um mm-hmm. So that really bothered me. So I stopped. I didn't get another one. I thought, do you know what? If I got another bottle, it wouldn't, it still wouldn't be enough. If I'd still need three tomorrow, I'd still need, because it's holiday mode. Mm -hmm. And I thought, never enough. Nothing is going to be enough. I'm an addict. Like, I'm addicted to this being a lifestyle. I I have to have this in my life to enjoy something. Everything was about... Or can I pre-drink before I get there? If I take two, if I take two bottles, will they judge me? Because I'm having one with them, but most of them might probably just have one. So do I look bad if I open a second? And I mean, the mentalness about all of that was exhausting. So it was just this constant sort of nag going on. And at that point, I thought, this I've got enough. I have enough in my life. Why, why is this making me feel that I need even more? I need all of this. And it, it's never stopping. It's like this hungry monster. It will always keep asking for more. And at that point, I said, "I can't do this." I can't because also the what then also happened at the same time. It was possibly around that same week. Is my friend who had the breast cancer before me hers came back? No. So she then was diagnosed as secondary, which was always my fear and still is.
0: Yeah.
1: And so my and so I thought, God, I can't stop you know, maybe I can't stop what's going on, but at least I can feel that I'm partaking in my own health. So I can say I'm doing everything I can for it not yeah. to come back and still be a mum and still yeah. be a, still have this life and doing everything, even though the medical side didn't promote anything. And still to this day, I check with surgeons and oncologists. When I speak to them, I sort of, I almost enjoy <laughs> sort of that. Not testing them recommend like I'm still and they're like no there's nothing you can do basically the attitude is you cannot impact anything in your actual life
0: I'm not a doctor all right so this <laughs> is genuinely my opinion I just putting that out there and I do yeah. appreciate that a lot of people may disagree with my opinion but I'm just going to share it because it is my opinion I it absolutely upsets me that There's two things. Number one, that people are being encouraged to not look at and potentially change their lifestyle when they have such a big health issue suddenly put on their laps. Why would you not take personal responsibility? Well, that's not saying that judging at the person, of course, if everybody is saying don't do anything, people are gonna mostly not do anything because they feel safe, because they trust doctors. And this is not about putting doctors down at all. Um, you know, doctors know what they know because they trained and they, you know, maybe the issue is there, you know, in some of the training. I know that Dr. Rangan Chatterjee says a lot on his podcast that he has had to develop a lot of his own opinions and deeper learning when it comes to things like brain science and nutrition and how everything holistically is impacting the body and the mind and when these big health issues come up, you know, breast cancer is a lifestyle cancer. It's not to say it is your fault. You know, it's more complicated than that, I think, when you get it. Um, But if you are drinking a lot, Or, you know, you're you're drinking every week or what, you know, why would that not be something that could be addressed or at least promoted? Well, why don't you have a look at your lifestyle? Are there any changes that you could make that would make you feel healthy? And having that kind of guidance, I appreciate that sport is not out there. Maybe that will change, fingers crossed. The second thing is I just, I get so upset when I hear that people are, not told, not just told it's okay to carry on drinking, but almost in some cases encouraged to carry on with alcohol, you know? And it's just like, it's, it's, I just feel like it's so irresponsible. I am not a doctor. I've not trained in medicine for seven years, but I've been sober for four and a half years and I have read a lot of books. I've listened to a lot of podcasts. I've read some kind of medical papers and just bits and pieces to try and understand more about how alcohol impacts the body. And I know that alcohol will be playing a role in some of these health conditions. It might not be the only thing, but it's certainly not helping. And I just feel really sorry for all the people out there that are suffering with you know, just finding out they've got cancer or trying to get uh, over cancer or finding that cancer has come back or losing someone to cancer. And that we are being just so tunnel vision about whatever you do, just don't stop drinking. It's fine. You don't have to change anything. I I personally find that really irresponsible and I find it really, really, like I get angry about it. It upsets me quite a bit.
1: Usually. And also I think that there's missing a trick. One of them is, there's two versions of that. One is like you... It, it, it to give people the permission to explore different options gives them their power back when their body yeah. has kind of essentially invisibly let them down and they feel that they mistrust their body because obviously something's going on that they hadn't noticed it's not like it's out external it doesn't it's not like a rash so like you you have this big mistrust from your body so like to be able to action positivity and to be able to feel like you're getting yourself back in charge of what's going on in your system is really powerful and I think yeah. that's some that's a real benefit to any patient Mm that feel that that actually instead of being a victim that all of this sort of medicine research is uh, is coming at me and I'll just say yes I can actually have Mm -hmm. well so I think that's a really positive path that you can lend people on and secondly what we know about alcohol is the fact that it brings so much anxiety and in fact it brings so much sort of worry and and your state of mind so you can imagine having that with a cancer diagnosis or a terminal diagnosis the impact of that combined is enormous so but Mm -hmm. nobody saying this thing that's making you throw up feel sick um worrying what you've said worrying how you've been shouting at people or what or or like not being your best version of yourself say (laughs) that's how you're encouraged or you're left to deal with so surely and also, I think there's a fog. My dad died of cancer. He was just just coming up to 62, which is really young. And his lifestyle was, you know, food, drink shocking compared to what we know now nutritionally. And he was at the hospice having like bottles of sherry with people and like constant wine. So what that meant for us as a family was we were sort of always, which is, you know, very, you know, again, no judgment, absolutely no judgment. It's just anecdotal. It's just disgusting a situation. So what that meant was we, we didn't have any like real deep goodbye conversations mm-hmm. because they're drunk. Like you're drunk, mm-hmm. you're drinking. So you're not remembering anything. You're not having something valid. You're not having a clarity there. And I know it's sort of self-soothing. I know it was probably there just because the situation was so hectic and awful. But equally, there's that's just kind of like, again, just like dismissing it. That's kind of putting a plaster on something when really – What, where are the time? Well, what, how else are you going to find out these conversations? How else are you going to tackle these chats if if it's just in this sort
0: of of, inebriated state?
1: What I I think the difference is where you sort of have to have a moment where you take responsibility for your choices. So, like, I was, you know, uh, nobody's forcing me, no one's pouring me a drink, you know, I'm buying this thing. So, that responsibility for that, and then just kind of like to forgive yourself. Like again, it's not a blame situation. It's like I didn't drink myself to have cancer. Like if I thought if I thought that that was contributory, then the whole you know the whole world is in on the joke because that you know nobody stopped that and nobody like told me that or it, that wasn't you know it wasn't something that was a deliberate link. So I wasn't drinking, saying I don't care if I get breast cancer or not at thirty. Like I wasn't doing that, but I was doing something which I now am much more aware of, like lifestyle, health wise, and, and stress wise, and everything that that means that I wasn't being the healthiest version of my body and I and what I then learned and had to do was sort of so I took responsibility I took on like that sort of blame the sense that yeah I probably did contribute I did not give myself a good healthy body and then from then I sort of like had to forgive that because I wasn't told different I wasn't taught different you know I was you know I was naive um so it wasn't it was a bit like once you know better do better but so yeah. don't go back so I did have to forgive myself as well to say look you you know it was all out of your hand in a way but also take responsibility you know it's a it's a double edged sword so and move forward what we're going to do to move forward now you do know better and for me so when I stopped drinking that day I never touched it again I was I was a when I stopped being the sort of addictive person I am I didn't take anything I t- took all the sober apps and I read all the literature I read all the memoirs that really worked for me and um and actually interesting enough a couple of the memoirs I read from women ended up with breast cancer throughout their non-drinking like I didn't read it as a breast cancer story but it tied in because they yeah. found out when they had stopped drinking when they were lowering their drinking intake they ended up with a cancer diagnosis breast cancer diagnosis so that was triggering actually on a couple of levels but good it felt like I was doing the right thing and again like I can't say it's not going to come back I can't say that I you know I'm not saying it caused it but what I'm saying is when moving forward I am really really confident in my myself to say I'm doing all I can to still be here everything I do is still so I'm still alive to be a mum so I'm still doing all these things so I can still contain you this is with my family, and make more uh, events. Hopefully, I mean, obviously, that's I'm I'm in a dangerous category, but hopefully, that my conscience is clear is what I'm saying. I, so I'm really yeah. sort of walking into yeah. this. I'm doing all I can, and if it comes back, or if it if I get it again, it's like it's really unlucky. But yeah, I have no impact. Like my impact on that is not something I can feel guilty about, which yeah. I would.
0: Yes, yes, completely understand. You gave it your best, basically, <laughs> you know, and stopping drinking, just doing that on its own is, it's a huge achievement.
1: That was the other thing I really noticed, apart from, say, financially, because I'd lost so much being self-employed, lost so, mu- so much income, if not all of it, to, um, to not, not earning, because I was ill. So the cost of, like, how, you know, to how to buy the drinks. And then um, COVID came in, which again I didn't get there was no grants for me, there was nothing, I just you know stopped earning. Um I didn't get a job in cyber as Mr. Rishi wanted. But um what that meant was I was sober before COVID and yeah. very a lot of in my toolbox. So when COVID came and hit the household like it did everywhere, I just I mean, ten times a day we're thinking, Thank God I don't drink, thank oh, God same. I same. I don't know, honestly I don't know how and I really feel for people who didn't have that yes frame. same oh I'm just really grateful because yeah. the, the experience would have been so different and the, and my children actually as far as we did it as far as we managed it had a really successful lockdowns because we really you know bonded and we had lots of time together and we really enjoyed that as a family and it really worked for us um but that would not have been the case had I been drinking it wouldn't no. have. St- and the permission to drink, because, you know, Christ, it's a, it's a huge pandemic. Like the panic and the worry. And when we didn't even have, you know, these vaccines or the news and everything else, that was just like the end of the world time, really.
0: Mm, mm.
1: The first sort of lockdown, certainly. And you sort of think, well, why wouldn't I? And that's the difference where I have come to realisation from when my dad dying, my friend dying and my, my, my moments where I think, well, why would I? Like, that's the difference. That's the difference different conversation and that's and that's the twist and the same way when somebody said oh like other friends who've had cancer diagnosis why me and I've now hit the point where I say well why not me mm. and it's the changes those mental sort of um upgrades that have really made the difference so stop the victim. It. I could really easily have gone into full alcoholism and, and parented my children in that world in the same way because of, you know, historic and because of that's what sort you of said, because that's kind of like who, how I've been brought up and that's my genetics mm-hmm. or whatever. But you have to tell me and say, no, I'm changing the narrative. This isn't good enough and Mm -hmm. no one can do this for me I've got to change it so like it's getting out of that mode and it was the same for the cancer diagnosis where I don't want to be a victim I want to be able to action my future now I want to Mm -hmm. feel that I can contribute to good health yes and that's the same and it's the same and it's a and it's a position of self-awareness because I I was again reading um, articles about addiction and when they sort of say the danger really of doing which we've done a couple of times for people of doing interventions because they're not ready and it's also about the addictions of people i think in um denmark and some some of the scandinavian countries where they deal with addiction where they just give them so much love rather than um you know prison punishment and things like that they just overdose them really with the love rather than the drugs and the outcome for that is so much more successful than that guilt and that blame Mm. and i know somebody was telling me that they were trying to get off antidepressants so they went to their GP and they they're big drinkers and they said uh, the GP said I cannot help you with the antidepressants yet until you stop drinking go away so they couldn't get mental health care for for, for a very you know reasonable situation until their drinking was under control but their drinking wasn't there was no help for the drinking they didn't say oh let's you know put you for this Mm system let's find you cases it was very much go away and stop drinking well if somebody says that and that's all we need to say then we wouldn't be in this situation no. so where's the with alcoholism I find where is the empathy and compassion I yes. really feel that it's it's not there in the same it's I'm not in understood in the same way because I think it's so complicated because everyone has an individual relationship with alcoholism so like certain people family members and friends will be like very sort of defensive because they have their own maybe worries or concerns about alcohol or like don't, you know, don't want to question anything of their, that's trying to keep them upright that they've managed that they've built these walls up and that's what's, they don't want to look underneath it. And so it's really challenging for certain people, which is, you know, which is common and that's fine. But there's the support system and that understanding is, is so individual And as a society, there's a lot to question about that. There's a a lot of, you know, the the fact that we've been told it's something and it's advertised as something and it's regularly available as something. And actually, that's not true.
0: Mm. Yeah, I I agree with all of it. Um, There's not (laughs) enough help out there. Most of the time, there's one version of help which just doesn't suit everyone. Um, you know just like one style of clothing doesn't suit everyone and I think that yeah collectively we all need to get better at supporting people with addictions and people with issues with mental health and be much more caring at the end of the day and understanding and I think sort of the
1: alcoholic, when people talk about like the NHS, like it's falling apart, look at the connection with alcohol in the NHS, all the fights and all the activities and all the drink drivers and all of the accidents that's caused, you know, like physically or, or. Mm-hmm. how much of that is connected to alcohol? So like, it, we, we really have to go quite deep under the layers to say, yeah, like, we have to address these things as a society, because we're, it's like a huge cover-up it's like it's really it's undocumented on a wider scale to think that, that the impact of mental health alcohol and mental health and you're, and people are saying we don't have enough you know we don't have enough funding we don't have enough grants but you're sort of again trying to put plaster on something that's an open wound where is the support system at the very start of that, because people who nobody comes into the world of alcohol, which is struggling with alcohol, in a, in a in a brilliant way. There's always there's always issues there that you know there's pain and there's there's trauma or there's sort of lack of understanding or whatever it is. So there is there needs to be compassion at that level mm. because nobody wants to be an addict and nobody wants to have alcohol overtake their choices. But yet the but yet we have this kind of thing. It's their fault. It's their fault. They've chosen to do it. It's their fault that they're still drinking. It's their fault that they drink too much. And without sort of saying, yeah, but people are supplying it. People are suggesting it. The amount of, you know, it's gin o'clock and oh, Mm. there's always it's cocktail hours somewhere. I mean, it is like the way that we talk about positive quotes and we say that like to children, if you say, one bad thing, it takes 18, at least 18, possibly like more than 25, 30, good things to undo that bad quote. So that's how we know mental health works in the sense that that's how your brain is functioning. So the amount of times that we're in just in a supermarket or in a pie street and it says all of these sort of alcohol, I'm not boring, I can have, you know, five pints. These things, I see them everywhere now of my eyes are open. Yeah. So I think, how does that read? How does that read? What that means is, and it's it always like not drinking is the boring option and not drinking yeah. is It's kind of very, it's caveated as this sort of cartoon character of a grey world of people not talking or having a good time. And that's the advert for sober, it used to be. That's the sort of advert for sober. So that conflicting information is, is still out there. I mean, you can go to Sainsbury's and see it. Like, it's you know, it's there. They're sort of like little promotions all the time pretty and you know they're they're in a beautiful frame or they're in a they're in a fun t-shirt but I look at that now and go how are you allowed to say that how are you allowed to sell that like that to me now I've I've done the work really surprises me how it's out there like that to up and coming and or to just justifies problems Mm. and I'm really aware of that now I wasn't and probably enjoyed it and probably made cards that were like, hi, yeah, great, it's fruit, I,
0: I, it's like a fruit salad. I'm the same. And I think this is, a, I, I find this is a common frustration when people have got sober and, and, you know, you do open up your eyes, you see it all around you, you know, and it's, and I, and I and I think that is frustrating for a lot of people, especially like I find it frustrating among the three girls. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, you know, for me, I don't like it when I look on, social media and I see children they're clinking the champagne flute with lemonade in and I just don't like it I don't want that conditioning but I do I'm aware that I'm quite on my own really with that and that's frustrating as well because people reflect how they feel about drinking those people don't want to take alcohol away and so they're going to project that onto you when you're the one saying oh, I actually think that's wrong uh you know a lot of people would be oh it's a harmless bit of fun and there we go that's exactly what we're talking about you know but is it a harmless bit of fun because what was a harmless bit of fun for me when I was 10 pretending to drink and pretending to smoke my straw cigarettes I ended up having it, <laughs> you know, to be honest an issue with alcohol and, and smoking for most of my adult life but
1: really hard I also think as an ex-drinker to not become this preachy this sort of like uh, you, but people and I think that's really difficult because people turn you into that even when you're not trying to be it'll be like even you go out sober or going for an evening it's like oh god she you know she'll probably just you know have a war or anything or she'll just be leaving early or whatever and you sort of you're almost predicted to be this sort of cliche of a, of a person which is really unhelpful but it but it's also like yeah, I actually do want to not be out till two. Uh, yeah, I will leave early. And yeah, I will be having water and feel better tomorrow. So like the joke is, it's like turned into a, um, like a defensive joke, isn't it? Like you're, you're the, you're this sort of like person, this sort of pariah that's like, oh, she probably talked to us about why we shouldn't have this. And it'd be like, well, if you want to ask. <laughs> if you want to know. Yeah. But it's yeah. really difficult to try and not, once you're aware of certain information, it's sort of sitting on your hands with it isn't it until someone's ready to talk about it I'm available to chat for those who want to and not and again without the judgment and without the sort of guilt there but it's but it's you can't unsee it once you see it and once you've had like this experience with it and I think the the version with mine because I had cancer and then I had so my some of my chemotherapy drugs are sort of like if you have alcohol it makes you sick because there's certain there's certain um chemicals in it that cause that so I can And do you know what I was still drinking for two years throwing up like happily like because you know because I knew that that was one of the side effects so it's ridiculous isn't it but now I can sort of say to somebody oh yes because I post my cancer treatments I don't drink and I thought that would be like the golden ticket you know that would be like what can anyone say to that you know I stay but actually it doesn't I've worked out it doesn't it still doesn't mean anything still doesn't because people will still have that I say of their own agenda about that and and I just don't take it personally because yeah. that's 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 not my story like this is this is I can only give you my version and whenever people come are, are happier or less happy or whatever they are then that's coming from their place and that's their um that's their way and I would have you know probably been a similar pre pre all mm. of this mm. period mm. I can't I don't want to to put people off by being this mm. judgy person but yeah. it's, it's definitely a place that's been pigeonholed. And I wonder if it's been pigeonholed by the sort of alcohol society people on purpose to yeah. make it look crap option.
0: <laughs> it's, it's funny because actually, despite the fact that I'm banging on about sobriety on my social media and, and uh, you know, in my work life and you know, when I'm, you know, on my Thrive group or whatever, in actual day to day life, I hardly talk about it
1: and I I say one of the researching for people with addictions was like, don't give interventions because they're just not ready. It's sort of like, it's a very aggressive way of dealing with the situation. Don't give them literature to read because it just sparks off an insecurity. And if they're not ready, obviously, so they'll find, especially nowadays, they can find podcasts, they can find sort of articles, they can do those sort of investigations on their own. And, and when they come asking, then there's the willingness there and there's like a, yeah. a, a space for them to hold them into those conversations. And that's the start and things are changing. I mean, the next generation, I'm so hopeful for them. They are, you know, really informed and really educated. And I it's, it's something like a quarter of up and coming children don't drink do they? you know, feed mm. onwards. It's, it's a huge shift and um and that's really encouraging generationally speaking and that will have an impact on society it's it's a sense as in you know going back to the sort of incidents that happen or trauma that happens or troubles that happen that's going to have a real positive effect uh, you know in waves as that keeps growing so i'm really sort of excited about the next part i think that's really i think it's a really great way to be and i suppose with some people if they moderate their drinking, they're never going to get it. And I get that; I understand that. If they're a moderate drinker and they don't have problems with alcohol, then this seems like, you know, this the, it seems like they're only realizing it from their own point of view. It's a bit like if someone never had bad skin, they would, and they only had like one spot once, and they said, "Oh, just use Clearasil," and they have no empathy for it because they don't have that ability in their brain to Mm. comprehend that that is what it means to somebody else that experience is different and so it's so personalized but it has to be so available I think that's it it's available but I think that's only fair because we're only balancing out what's like pushed on us or what's really like what has been over the years been sort of Believed to be the only way, and I just think it's just fair to balance that option out to say, well, why don't we look at this way and inform people with activities they can do of Friday nights, Saturday nights that don't involve drinking. But what you know, and and just give more education to people, like saying, have you tried, you know, these candlelight uh, cinemas? Have you tried going to seeing this event going on? Have you tried traveling to these places because you can drive back? Have you, yeah, you know, all of these different options? Have you? done food courses how do we why don't we make things together of an evening or watch something together Mm. so options is basically it and i think that sort of the replacement is very useful for people like the non-alcoholic beers if they're not triggering or wines so it's just being able to offer an alternative um possibility because i think if you are trying if you're struggling and you're and all you know is if i stop it's no but you don't know what yes means you Mm -hmm. don't know you know you don't that sort of um Potential yes. that inspiration there. I think that's there's still work to be doing on that, which is yes. which is ongoing. And I think just to give people the 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 ability that there is, you know, there is a great life out there. There's there's so many benefits. So just have and and it it's not against one against the other, but it's just showing it without having a defense about it. It's like mm-hmm. saying this is. I'm not saying that's bad. I mean, I am for me, but I'm not. But but you're not even allowed to say this is really good because it triggers those people so mm, it really yeah. to find this this space this really space to, to to have these dialogues and that's really important to have and important. always know that it's just one person's anecdote one person's experience which we've said all throughout this is this is my version this is just my opinion which it is like medically I'm only talking about myself I'm, I'm not saying you know don't do this and this won't happen I'm not giving any promises but it's just a story and that's how we're storytellers we're human beings like this is how we learn this is how we move forward and it's just interesting and really and and hopefully really great for you know for personal growth
0: to just know more things yeah totally totally agree with that what would you say are your top three tips to get sober do you know
1: one of my um so I say I so I had lots of memoirs which I really enjoyed I got them from the library or I bought them second hand that was for me for my interest that's I'm a book person so that really worked for me um secondly it was um so I did I avoided alcohol alternatives for a while and then they crept back because I thought the taste I thought that would be troubling for me but actually I really enjoy making alternatives and having and embracing that sort of world of um not the high sugar ones I'm still trying to be healthy so I don't so it's all very um considered which which is interesting as well it's not just a simple like I'm going to have that instead of that it's it, there's a journey there and there's a lots of options which I really enjoy so that's the second one and the third one I think is to step back I said no to lots of things um and or what I did was a really brilliant piece of advice I was given it was because I was driving to events now. to to not offer lifts back because then it meant I was late as those people and being a people pleaser because of my history Mm -hmm. I was always so desperate and to be you know to be included and to being that thing so actually I had to stop that because I had to get out the Irish goodbye get out time at any point because um that then beholden me to somebody else's time frame and obviously for me like not obviously, but for me, the, that, those sort of end hours, so like maybe an evening that was is 7 till 10, is great, but the 10.30 to 1, 2 o'clock isn't so great for me as a not drinker because of just how conversations roll or how, how the energy levels go. So to avoid that bit, I mean, to be stood waiting to take somebody home as well and be that kind of person I need to go home, just really didn't sit well and it didn't work for me. So I really enjoyed having that um, advice by saying, Turn up um and but go whenever you want to, without explanation, you know it's fine yeah. um and that's okay like just, just to be sort of like be have the confidence to um own that and you know and be okay with that, and if they're not okay, then that's their issue, not your issue. Don't take that on, just do do what's safe for you. put your boundaries up yeah and, and with
0: that. Brilliant advice, really good advice. Where can we find you? If we want to follow a journey or get in touch, where do we find you? So I don't really put anything
1: personal online because I do art, so I kind of keep that as a separate. So on Instagram, as in like who I am, they can anyone can message me or DM me. So I would be on Instagram as Wise W I-S E and that's underscore Kate C A T E. And that would be like sort of like really open to discussion or really happy to help and support. That's no problem. But I don't have anything like this sort of open. Um just because I use that as, as a professional, you yeah. know, professional sort of way. But that doesn't mean that I'm not a, you know, human person that you you can't chat to. I'm very happy to do that. It's just not something that represents me online, that's all. I just sort of haven't, um, yeah, I just don't have the um, space to have that on, on, on a professional, you know, on a professional sort of um, Instagram feed. But I'm more than happy to, you know, go through things or chat through anything. That's, you know, a, as a as a human to human that's very um that's very fine with me
0: oh that's so nice of you to offer that i'm sure you'll get a few messages from people um and thank you so much for being so honest and for sharing your story today it's been really lovely to get to know you and i've really enjoyed this chat so thank you
1: thank you for offering us this space thank you so much
0: my pleasure and thank you everybody else goodbye goodbye Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you're interested in being a guest, please contact me directly on Instagram by sending a message to at sassysobermum. You can also find helpful tools and resources on my website sassysobermum.com. If you enjoyed the podcast and you want to spread the love, please like, share, and rate the podcast. I really look forward to next time. See you then.